Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Dao De Jing to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, executive coach. I'm joined by my co-host Ian Felton, practicing psychotherapist. Good morning, Ian. Hey, David. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you. Yes, yes. You know, it's when I think about Easter, it's really a time of the year that coincides with, you know, the springtime. You know,、mm. when in nature, all things are coming back back to life. I hope that in your area, you know, because I used to live、uh, in Minneapolis, and you start, you know, to see trees, you know, the 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 budding of the leaves, and and things are come alive again. We'll get there. Still. Still, what what kind of is the snow snow covered? Yeah, snow is everywhere still. Yeah. Oh, I see. Well, I hope that it will coming soon. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Before we delve into the uh, the uh, chapter thirteen of Dao De Jing today, you know, as usual,、uh, I was wondering over the past week if you had any walking the timeless way moment. I I did, and the one that stood out to me the most, I believe it was yesterday, and I finally just took a moment to sit in my office chair and just exist and just. B. I wasn't working on anything. I wasn't using my phone. I was just sitting there,、mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, one of my cats came up and laid down in my lap and curled up in my lap. And I just noticed that he hasn't done that for a while, and I made that connection of I am just. Too busy,、mm-hmm. and that in all of that activity, I wasn't making any space for my cat to sense. Oh, he there's space inside of him now. There's no activity in him. There's just the stillness.、Mm-hmm. And when he sensed that stillness, he came up to be in that space. And and we know that's a central theme of. Dao De Jing, and that we've we've explored it thoroughly. And here was an instance where it was just a perfect manifestation of that. That when I settled, when I wasn't doing all this stuff, that space is what allowed this kind of precious moment for my cat to want to come and just be close to me and be one with me in that stillness. Wow, I love it. I love the you know this space thing. I think our life, modern life, is so filled with stuff, you know, things, and、um, I think it is really、uh, necessary to discover 
to discover that place or sometimes even to create that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love, yeah, I love it. Thanks for sharing that story. You're welcome. How, how about you? What were, what was a walking the timeless way moment that you want to share? Well, when you talk, you, 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 when you just shared that story, uh, uh, an image that came to, uh, to mind, uh, it also around space. Uh, you know that I have a you know morning exercise routine around the lake uh, near my neighborhood. So the other day, you know, I was finishing um, my exercise, and uh, suddenly I caught a glimpse of you know a bird, you know the ibis, mm. uh, just kind of walking walking uh, in the kind of the. Uh, the side of the lake, um, and there's this just whole space of water mirroring the sky. It, it just feels like, you know, that a little creature, you know, is totally like enjoying kind of that a world of of its own, mm. that spaciousness, um, and also that kind of clarity because you see the the sky and the water. So I just wish I had, you know, some, you know, like I, I had that kind of state, state of mind more often, Mm -hmm. just like that. So that was my, (laughs) that was my moment. Yeah. Of realization. Yeah. I agree with you that that is the, the space that where whether we want to call it peace or connectedness there there's a yeah. lot of ways to describe it but it that to me is the real riches of life it's not a private jet it's not um a huge following on social media or or anything like that it's it it really is that state of mind and if we don't have that we've kind of lost ourselves and i think that's what this chapter is really all about yeah talking about this chapter why do we get started on the um reading it in uh chinese reading the original text would you like to do that and i can then followed by, uh, you know, providing a one version of the English translation. Okay. Chong Ru Rajin Gui Da Huan Rushin Ho Wei Chong Ru Rajin Chong Wei Xia Dodger Rajin Shurger Rajin Shirwei 爱以身为天下 
frog toward Tianxia. Perfect. Wow, that's good. That's good. So let me、uh, share、um, the、uh, Stephen Mitchell's version.、Um, I yeah, like I like this too. Yeah, I like his. So here it goes. Success is as dangerous as failure. Hope is as hollow as fear. What does it mean that success is as dangerous as failure? Whether you go up the ladder or down it, your position is shaky. When you stand with your two feet on the ground, you will always keep your balance. What does it mean that hope is as hollow as fear? Hope and fear are both phantoms that arise from thinking of the self. When we don't see the self as self, what do we have to fear? See the world as yourself. Have faith in the way things are. Love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things. What do you think? Yeah, his his is a really,、um, I think it's a valuable contribution to the translations that are out there. There's so many and so few that I think do a a really good job of truly translating. I mean, you've we don't have to get into all of it today, but you've talked about the the three kind of key things for a、mm-hmm. translation. I feel like his his hits on. It's a good translation. I, it's, I like his translations. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So when you read this chapter, what? First of all, let's you know, talk at at the overview level. And、um, what what do you think that Laozi is trying to tell us? Well, I'm going to borrow a little bit just because I think it's so well put into words and. Mm-hmm. I was reading through my translations, and not my translations, but translations that I like,、mm-hmm. and still this old one, the the wisdom of Laozi. I guess it's not that old compared to the original, but it's almost a hundred years old now. And in the exposition for chapter thirteen, I stumbled across this paragraph, and I just I was like, okay, yeah, that's. That's really, really important. So I'll I'll just read. Man's loss of his original nature comes、mm. from the distractions of the material world, acting through the five senses.、Mm-hmm. His emancipation of the spirit comes from the doctrine of selflessness, which appears to be the common idea of sainthood in all religions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Taoist philosophy, this emancipation through selflessness comes through the realization that the individual self is nothing, and the great unity of the universe is everything.、Mm-hmm. From this selfless point of view, it is therefore natural to regard all the accidents of fortune and misfortune, honor and disgrace. As things that are entirely superficial and unimportant.、Mm-hmm. 
So could you uh, help, you know, bridge what you just shared with, and with the text of this chapter? And, uh, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, so to understand my point of view, it, it helps to understand sort of the, the, we call it a root metaphor for how we're approaching something. Um, a root metaphor can change. So, you know, but it's helpful to give the context of why you're, what re root metaphor you're using so that people can understand mm -hmm. that frame of reference. In other words, it's not saying this is the truth. It's just saying this is a, a kind of starting point for what's to come. And essentially it's that we are in a nervous system that has evolved over billions of years, hundreds of millions of years of sexual reproducing species till Homo sapien uh, arrived. But it created a particular type of nervous system mm -hmm. that all Homo sapiens share. But it, it is a unique way of bringing forth the world, you know, that our nervous system is, is quite different than my, my cat's nervous system, for example, mm -hmm. in the world that it brings forth and a bat's nervous system, it brings forth a completely different world of sonar. And mm -hmm. I mean, we can only use our imaginations to try to imagine what that world is like. So right. we, we know there is the human world is not the world. That's the world that a human's nervous system brings forth. Mm -hmm. Five senses. Mm -hmm. What Lao Tzu is saying in the commentary that I was reading, it's saying people, because we're in the sort of everyday trance, we really believe that the sense information that we're taking in is real and that we're experiencing life as if we are in the world. Mm -hmm. We're, we're not, we're, we're literally only experiencing our own consciousness. We're literally only experiencing the illusions that our nervous system produces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we start chasing after these illusions and the Buddhists, I think they do, a very good do job of elucidating this without getting into evolution and anatomy and that sort of thing that, you know, there is, um, a trap there, a trap has been laid because these things are not substantial. They're not real mm -hmm. that underneath that. And this is where you could get into the quantum physics part. There's these quantum fields that we still don't fully understand but we know that's a whole nother realm of existence and that there's even this thing the spooky action at a distance where it seems like there's still this connectedness even at the quantum level between this field well that's where we're talking about getting underneath all of the five senses and these illusions that are produced by the nervous system to something deeper mm -hmm. and, and what's deeper is recognizing again. Well, if 
all of this is an illusion produced by my nervous system, but there is still a real world out there. I mean, there are other people, there are other creatures, there, there is the earth and the universe, mm -hmm. but it's all a reflection of my nervous system. Then I really should be treating everything that I encounter as sort of, it's connected to me. It's a reflection of myself. I'm a reflection of that. And then we can more easily get beyond our own sort of superficial longings and desires and recognize those are just passing little blips that my nervous system is producing. It's nothing of substance. What's deeper than that is this deeper love for the connectedness of everything, the connectedness of the whole universe that I'm part of in this moment, that we're sort of a fractal and we're just another um, facet of that. But everything is sort of reflected in itself. Right, right. So are you saying that, uh, you know, this nervous system, it sounds to me like, you know, the modern era, modern culture seems to kind of to put a lot of emphasis on that you know, uh, nervous system of each individual. In other words, you know, when you think about how would you think about just kind of in, in the context of what you just, you just shared, uh, individualism. It sounds like individualism tends to overemphasize the uniqueness or the idiosyncrasies mm -hmm. of a particular nervous system. And each one has his or her own. So then we're all like fragmented or, uh, mm -hmm. or, 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 or atomized in a certain way. So that kind of unity uh, in pursuing that each uniqueness of the <laughs> each nervous system, that unity, that underlying connectivity um, is kind of a left out or we we forget all about it. Precisely. And that's exactly how mm -hmm. the modern American culture and, you know, it's trying to be spread everywhere, of course, because it's mm -hmm. sort of pretentious, mm -hmm. but it wants to focus on completely the wrong things that, that yes, it wants to show how different and special I am. Mm -hmm. compared to everyone and everyone else. And can, can you imagine 10 or 20 of these people who really just want to focus on, you know, all of the ways that they're special and different and want everyone to be aware of that and notice that if 20 of them got in a room together and started mm -hmm. a conversation with each other, what that would look like, it would, I mean, it would be pretty comical. Well, you know, that's what I tried to relearn when I first came to this country, because um, let's say in the Chinese culture, there's always a tendency to conform. In other mm -hmm. words, you don't say things, let's say, to uh, you, you try you to you say things to conform to the to the to the norms of, mm -hmm. of a crowd of a group in here. Mm -hmm. I learned consciously 
actually, in order to stand out, let's say at a Harvard classroom, mm -hmm. I have to, uh, you know, think differently. I have mm -hmm. to express myself in a way that set myself apart. If I cannot provide a unique point, I feel I have no value. So that's mm. the thing I have to almost like readapt, uh, reprogram myself. That's uh, hard to uh, fathom and hard to appreciate, I think, just for, for someone who's only lived in one culture and hasn't – I mean, I tasted mm -hmm. a little bit of what you're talking about, the times that I've spent in China and recognizing like – right. Well, wow, what was I, your experience in China? Tell me, like, is that the opposite of what I experienced here in America? Yeah, it was like, <laughs> damn, I just, can I just get a break from people? <laughs> like, can I just, like, go off on my own and listen? Ah, no, like, yeah. So you me. feel the pressure, like, to always be, like, uh, be part of the, uh, what, what would you say? What was your experience? Yeah. Part, part of the group. And, like, it's, mm -hmm. you, you're part of it. And there, there's, um, and I think it's, it's important because people are, people are very sensitive then to how you're feeling and how you're reacting because everybody is connected and together. And so yeah, yeah. if you're in a bad mood, like everybody, everyone knows and everyone is affected by that. Or vice versa, if you're happy and joyful, everyone gets affected. Oh, see, that that's the that's the whole body thing. That's the connectivity. Like, say, if our finger has a, a, a some pain, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole body is un uncomfortable. Uh, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that kind of feeling, um, you know, I don't feel it anymore. But when I go back to China, I feel the pressure. I feel like I have no breathing room. Mm -hmm. I have no space. Well, in this country, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, all by myself. I can do whatever I want. Is is you know what I mean? I don't have to give a damn about what other people think about me. But yeah. when I go back to China, my cultural instinct to tell me that I have to listen to people carefully. I have to respond. You know, when they have some difficulties, I have to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. But I also expect to other people to do the same to me. But in here, I have no expectations, but I have my own anxiety uh, because I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. If I do not have a, a, a different opinion, you know, sometimes I have to, you know, I feel like, oh, you know, the, you know, I may feel worthless because you are no, you know, you, you cannot put out a, a, an idea or an opinion that is different to get mm -hmm. other people's attention. So it's like entirely different <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. mode of existence, uh, you know, between, the, you know, living in the Chinese culture and American culture. Yeah. And, and what do you think? Is this a place of where more moderation is needed to maybe bridge the two? Yeah. I mean, that's my ideal. Uh, that's my ideal hope that um, I think there's a certain benefit in this culture that uh, let's say, in certain aspect, I would say, you don't feel much of a peer pressure. Well, you may call it a peer pressure. It's just like uh, invisible force to conform in the Chinese culture, uh, while in here you hear the absence of it. But only I say it in, in, in a, in, with some qualification, because 
I think even though stylistically, uh, you know, maybe we have more uh, leeway, freedom to express ourselves, but I think the market force, force still conform all the people to certain behavior uh, that you are still still subject to the to the jungles, the the law of the of the jungles in this country. See, in yeah. other words, if you do not have money. If you do not have the financial security, you still you you cannot go very far because you have to pay your bills. So you hit the nail on the head. I think there there's actually just as much conformity, but it's conformity around the economic system and the demands of the economic system. And as long as you're conforming to the economic system and the institutions, such yeah. as you know, yeah. higher expectations, expectations of how you think. I mean, we know that freedom of thought isn't really um, encouraged anymore, that it's in higher education, you're supposed to think a certain way about things. And if you don't think a certain way about things, you're you're going to receive a very intense backlash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel sometimes people must have feel like a struggle because on the one hand you are promised to have that that freedom because we all love freedom right mm -hmm. but then this reality thing of the market forces forces you to take into account a lot of the practical considerations and adapt even conform and not saying the telling the truth of what you really think so yeah. that, that's the kind of the tension and the conflicts i think uh when you have something like that, because yeah. the economic system and the political ideal, they don't seem to go in the same direction. Yeah. And so we've it's we've really created this bipolar state then. And it's no wonder that there's so many mental health issues mm -hmm. in the country, not just because of the neglect of um people's needs because it is all about, you know, GDP and um, profits, but this bipolar kind of gaslighting that goes on where you're told, yeah, you have freedom and freedom of expression. Yeah. But then the reality is when you encounter the culture today, it's you have to conform to one narrow, insane view of the world or the other. You either have to conform to, the extreme progressive view of the world, or you have to conform to um, the sort of MAGA view of the world. And there's not a lot of wiggle room either way. And both of them are extremely narrow and rigid. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes I would imagine certain people, if you want to uh, uh, get resources, you have to fight that political fight uh, by standing with one of the extremes uh, mm -hmm. in order to do that. And for the mm -hmm. normal people who don't want to be a part of any of the extremes, yeah. uh, you have to work extra hard to, you know, make a living and also maintain that freedom of thought, which is getting harder and harder. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. Like the, the there there's like people who for whatever reason, who don't believe in these radical thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think they are the struggle that the most people, the most, uh, they face the most challenging 
uh, situations uh, nowadays. They have to pay their tax. They have mm -hmm. to. <laughs> they mm -hmm. have to. Yeah, they have to survive too. Makes sense. Yeah. So getting back to uh, Lao's talk, I think he didn't. You know, he obviously didn't live through our time. But for some reason, you know, it resonates with me when I read it. Like the, you know, this notion of uh, disgrace, like a danger, and uh, um, what do you call it, the fortune? I mean, those two things, um, they they kind of go hand in hand. You have to uh, find some detachment or non-attachment from from them in order to experience greater freedom. Yeah. So what's what do you think that greater freedom is? So beyond favor and disgrace, I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of talking about two different things. We're talking about freedom of thought and expressing it, but I, I get a sense that Lao Tzu's not even, he's talking about something it doesn't have to be put into words. You don't have to tell anyone about it. What do you mean? Could you elaborate one on what you're saying? Yeah, so that that state of mind where kind of going back to the things from earlier where in this discussion where when you recognize that all of the sense information is an illusion. It's a mm. creation of the nervous system that has arisen over hundreds of millions, let's just say billions of years, because that's really what we're talking about. And it brings forth a particular world that has been shaped over billions of years. Mm -hmm. So to put things into words like how I'm doing kind of right now, I have to recognize there's an illusion there that what I'm saying and the vibrations that my vocal cords are making, when it enters another person's nervous system, it gets turned into whatever their nervous system creates it to be. In other words, if 10 people's nervous systems are hearing my words, they're all going to hear it in a different way. It's going to mean something different because each nervous system has a unique history and a unique world that is brought forth. Right. So in other words, the only world that I can ever really truly transform is the world of my own nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working on my own personal peace, my own personal enlightenment, my own personal connectedness to everything, it can only ever happen within the world that my specific nervous system brings forth. Can you, well, in different spiritual trans, uh, traditions, when it comes to, uh, you know, maybe some of the mystics, you know, some people include Lao Tzu as part of that mystic tradition, mm -hmm. can we go beyond that 
Like, in other words, the language. You know, we have to live with the limitations of language, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's all that we have, right? It's almost mm-hmm. like we cannot, you know, hold our hair and try to leave the, the ground, right? So we, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's impossible. Um, but I think the first step is to realize, you know, the pitfalls of language mm-hmm. as an instrument uh, to make sense of the world. Because I think many people, especially in modern days, that's another thing I find it's very interesting, is we rely too much on words to select our leaders. You know, of course, now, you know, in the past, there's the presidential debate, right? At first, I couldn't understand because, you know, like, uh, again, you know, my reference point is China. Like, how can you judge somebody just purely from the words? You know, usually when we select leaders, we need to select the leaders where really like familiar with like we in a very close community you know we know the character we know how this people this person behave but it seems like now we rely too much on the words of a person to say this person is a qualified president so again you know this is a you know maybe a concrete example of a uh, you know, of the limitation of language I can think of. I mean, sometimes I even could not trust my own language because it can be like expressed in such a thing today, but in another thing tomorrow. It's just a tool. Oh, 100% that we, we as a species only acquired language 50,000 years ago, roughly. I mean, 50,000 years that's not very long geologically, especially yeah. when we look at the history again of our um, of hominids, which goes back millions of years. So language is a new tool, and that's precisely what it is. And and what we can do is we can look at it as a way to coordinate behavior. Yeah, yeah. So, and if and if you think that it's anything other than that. Um, look at how easily you navigate your neighborhood and your job and the signs when you're driving and the, the restaurant menu and your phone. Now, if you woke up tomorrow in a different country where they spoke a completely different language that looked nothing like your language, go out and try to navigate the world and see what that feels like. Yes. That's the only proof that you need to know that language is a tool to navigate environment. That's it. But sometimes we forget about it. We thought language equals the equals reality, equals yes. thinking. It yes. equals to the, you know, reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we put an equal sign between these yeah. two things. That's where problems seem to rise. Yeah, it, it's just your vocal cords vibrating and symbols that have been through classical conditioning. It fires a particular neural network in your mind. 
your body then knows how to respond again. It's about, it's about choosing options of behavior within a particular environment. Our internal world is also an environment. So even Mm -hmm. the narrative about Ian and his story and his past and his history, that's all just a, uh, a story too. It's not, the the real thing it's just another way for me to navigate my own internal environment the, the environment of my own psyche the language right. is used just to navigate that terrain right right i remember like a uh, krishna uh, murti said mm-hmm. something like to the effect that when you think about knowledge so what is the essence of knowledge it's all memory it's all mm-hmm. about the past yeah yeah. So how can we, knowing all this, how can we translate it? You know, this realization, I think it's an important one. But how can we take this realization into something, into something like living, like a daily life? So now we realize the limitation of language. What should we do? What can we do? You start looking at all of the illusions that you're following as if they are deeply important and see the superficiality of it. So if we're stuck in the past with our memories and our language and our words, we've sort of deadened ourselves and deadened our options. And we're kind of just programmed by the type of knowledge that Krishnamurti talks about being, you know, not spiritual, we have to exist fully in the present and we have to do it in a way where we're trying to see through as many of those illusions as possible. And so, again, rather than trying to dissect everything, pick everything apart, show the world how special I am we're mm-hmm. trying to look deeper into that and seeing again the connectedness of everything the in this sense the connectedness that is brought forth through just awareness right right you know what one of the examples immediate examples i can think of uh that i a younger self didn't tend to do because um you know i put a lot of faith in language, uh, but nowadays I tend to do more, is to not to immediately believe or accept uh, the words of anybody, no matter what that person is. But over a period of time, you know, some of these people, uh, you know, I, ha- I, I may not have the luxury of getting to know them, you know, in a more close setting, like because they're in the social media or they are the public figures. But still, I can see that, you know, through the different kind of words and, uh, you know, tracking of these people, especially their behaviors and their fortune or misfortune, I can put together a really a more, a, you know, more complete sense of reality about these people. And then with the people around me, like in the circle of my friends, uh, now I tend to, you know, to look beyond their words 
mm-hmm. and look at their behaviors and see how those things there's a, a congruence or incongruence uh, between their words and their deeds. So I, I think that's a way of kind of go beyond it entirely on the rhetoric or the language mm-hmm. itself, no matter you know how good somebody is using words or not. Yeah, we talked a little about this in our preparation where in our modern culture, more and more, there's so many people where you're favored as long as you do the type of virtue signaling that says, hey, I'm on this political side of the spectrum mm-hmm. and you're disgraceful if you're in a certain geographical location and you don't virtue signal that way. So, you know, for example, in the South somewhere, if you have a MAGA hat on, you're kind of signaling to people, hey, you know, I'm I'm in the favorable group. You know, I'm not a disgrace. I don't vote Democrat and vice versa. If you're up where I live, you know, if you don't see people wearing MAGA hats up here. And if you did, they would receive, I'm sure, all sorts of abuse. So but you'll see. People with all kinds, you know, signs in their yard that's that do signal, hey, I'm on the, you know, this side of the political spectrum and that type of rhetoric, then the simplification where it doesn't actually matter what kind of person you are or the quality of your character or any of those actions, it's just hey, look, I'm one of the good guys. I've got this sign in my yard. Or, hey, look, I'm one of the good guys. I'm wearing a MAGA hat. Um, That sort of way of of creating culture is destructive. Do you think sometimes I was wondering when when people do the virtual signaling, what do they have in mind? Do they truly believe that people will believe in them? So in other words, like sometimes I feel like, you know, virtual singling or we put words around something, it's a sign of mental laziness. So in other words, you know, you see a tree, instead of really looking at the detail of the tree, you suddenly you, you, you say, oh, I know that this tree, you know, this, mm-hmm. is, this is called. So in other words, you bypass all the, you know, sensory understanding of it, the touch and feel of it. You just say, I know it, almost mm-hmm. as if you just truly know the tree. The mm-hmm. same thing about virtual signaling, just by putting a sign there uh, without really doing the, all the deeds about the virtue, the yeah. substance of the virtue. Do you think others, other people, because other people are not, I mean, unless there are so many stupid people, then these people think these other people are stupid, so they can. But I think in reality, people know other people doing the virtual signaling. So then if that's true, then what's the use of it? Well, I mean, I do think, again, what you were saying earlier, that most people are not these kind of extreme people who have completely lost it. Um, Mm -hmm. they're kind of somewhere in the middle, but it does serve to divide the country. It does serve to divide people. And that is a textbook play of, um, people in power Mm -hmm. for 
ever. So I don't think anything new is happening. I think it's about keeping people divided so that the people in power can keep people distracted with all of these superficial things so that the important things that need to be done don't get done. So I like to use the example of a hundred people in a village again, just the, right. this, like the Lao utopian, but I think it's also just a, a good metaphor for trying to get people to see what's going on. If America was a village of a hundred people and we looked at some of the things that are being like put into the media and fixated on, you would say, Hey, okay. Like that's not really important. There there's someone, there's an, there's one of our elders over here that doesn't have someone to talk with. And over right. here, there's someone who's really sick and needs medicine. And over here, there's a few people who, they're able to work and help, but but they don't have anything to do. We need to get these people working. We need to get this person medicine. We, we need to go and talk with our elder over here. And if someone was screaming and yelling and saying like, but I demand that you talk about this thing the way that I want you to talk about it, you would just say, you are insane. You're right, insane. Right. Yeah. You don't know how to prioritize anything. See, that's the that's the most um, maybe the insane or pathetic part. I, I feel like, you know, I would imagine like reading like the the early, let's say, the colonial history, right? The, mm -hmm. When the Puritans came, mm -hmm. you know, to Plymouth, like around the Massachusetts area, mm -hmm. like they're small communities, you know, people are working hard, they know each other, they knew each other, and they took care of each other, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that, would? Uh, I mean, it's easy to understand because it's small, everybody, yeah. right, have that shared value. But just as you said, I feel like a lot of times, the most common sense thing get undone while all these you know trivial thing mm. get the most attention yeah you know is it because of the the size just it's just maybe too big De decadence it's just decadence it's that because so many people don't have to struggle at all in life and have very little See, problems yeah yeah, I agree. So it's, it's not just the size. It's probably the decadence. Can we maybe define it as the absence of the virtue or the, right? At first, the de is inside us, like it's a spirit. That spirit kind of is the driver or anim animates your attitudes and your behavior, right? Yeah, so whatever you touch, that de is there. But when de decadence happens, Okay, it's all surface. Maybe yeah. it's not. It's in the words. It's what? It's in the words which we've said don't, don't matter. So people try to say that virtue is in the words that you speak instead of it being really embodied in who you are. Mm -hmm. And then people, because they actually don't have virtue inside of them, 
they want they want to outsource it. They want the world to show them how virtuous it is while they actually don't hold themselves accountable to being virtuous in the slightest. Well, that's I think that's what uh, what what Nietzsche talked about. Mm, too. Tell me more. The, the, well, Nietzsche talked about the modernity and the, the, the decadence. That's why he, he envisioned that people, um, of, of course, he used the, 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 uh, the you know, superhero, but that's what he wasn't his, his really meaning. He means somebody who can overcome themselves. Yeah. So in other words, it's not just to conquer others and dominate yeah. others, but constantly transcending like the you know they see their limitations they keep on improving and they keep on expressing them themselves and bring out their their potential so that's mm-hmm. the kind of person i think where the they're kind of is filled with the mm-hmm. and that make them alive and vibrant mm-hmm. as opposed to you know trying to to find the shortcuts the easy way yeah. to still send the signal, but that is kind of a meaningless. And they know it's meaningless, and then they're constantly doing it because it's meaningless. Tweeting about your opinions on politics is not virtue. It is not. Yeah, advantage. yeah. Sometimes I even wonder, you know, maybe an an ounce of kindness, right, down to the person next to them will pay off more just naturally and then 10,000 words they write on a social media just from a human experience. Don't you think? Like sometimes we know, you know, every day, like when we do something good, just we feel good about it, like we are helping others, just a little gesture, it can brighten other people's day or brighten mm-hmm. our own day. But people seem to not to, you know, or maybe forget about that big payoff and instead, you know, like to do a lot of virtual signaling, which is very hollow. Yes. And it obviously takes a much more virtuous person to, this is kind of what Lao is saying, Quit worrying about your own ego and status and just Mm. all of the cultural things that are ephemeral and actually do something kind, actually do something regardless of who that person is. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, (laughs) I mean... I'm just imagining, you know, um, a lot of the people in my neighborhood with signs that, you know, all are welcome here. Well, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing those. But what if someone with a MAGA hat showed up at their doorstop and knocked on the door and said that they needed something? I mean... Yes, some people would be kind to them, but like, I'm not sure how many of those all are welcome here people would actually be kind to the person with a MAGA hat on. Right, 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 right. So where's the beginning? Like, how do you kind of get out of this kind of 
state of mind or state of being? I mean, there's not one way of going about it. I think, again, you have to look deeply at, mm-hmm. at all kinds of things. I mean, you, you have to look at, again, you have to understand our evolutionary past as a species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to understand our societal past as, civiliza- as civ- civilization, because that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, Homo sapiens within civilization, that's almost a different species than pre-civilization. Mm-hmm. You have to understand the propaganda system that, you know, used to just be, you know, centralized through newspapers and news, but now it's, you know, distributed through social media. You have to look at the economic system and the education system and, and by understanding all this and then studying, I think, world religions, too, it, it makes a lot more sense. You start understanding that, oh, yes, I've been programmed. I've been programmed in a specific way and that lots of things have been lost. Lots of things. Civilization has resulted in humanity losing a lot of their humanity And these are the things that I think the ancient world religions have talked about and have tried to get people to not lose. Right. And technology is making it to where we're in danger at a greater and greater level each year at at losing more and more of our humanity. Right. Right. So knowing that fact, it seems like it's, very, it's really the first step, right? I'm not sure everybody is like acutely aware of what you're talking about, what you're talking about. No, because there's a lot of people going back when you were saying like equal, equal, equal. There's a lot of people that think that technology, technological innovation equals progress or that, um, you know, a faster internet speed also equals progress. It's like, yeah. No. And, a, and a sign of virtue, everybody's welcome equal to real welcoming, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or that wearing a red MAGA hat is going to make America a great, a great a truly great again, right? right. Instead right. of the solving the real issues of everyday, you know, people. Which is duh. It's it's the it's virtue, duh. I mean, if we had a virtue if if people if everyone was cultivating the kind of virtue that we're talking about, yeah, that actually would solve a lot of these conditions without having to take all the approaches that people are are taking that just result in more chaos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I bet at the very beginning, because I, uh, uh, you know, studied the U.S. history and also I read a lot about the, you know, other civilizations or even like empires. At the very beginning, people were filled with the, because otherwise they wouldn't have got to the, to their prime in the first place. Right. Don't don't, don't you like. Like believing that, I, I personally, I feel I believe that people are truly virtuous. They work hard. 
They are honest. They are straightforward with each other. And then boom, they build up all the, the you know, all the, the wealth, the power, I mean, with the virtue. And then start things start to turn because people are not, you know, feeling like they need to do the hard work anymore. They can do the easy part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of that's what we mean by decadence, that that's exactly it. It's like, oh, you know, like I've got all this wealth and privilege now I don't have to be virtuous. I just have to talk about being virtuous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of the reason, like people nowadays, you know, in the news, people talking about the, the currency thing, right? The, the U.S. dollars. Yeah. Um, because the credi- credibility of the U.S. system mm-hmm. is built upon the credit credibility of the people, right? So if yeah. you start to print out a lot of, you know, money and, uh, and, and and start to abuse that credibility, then you lose the credibility. I mean, it's the same with a country. It's the same in individual. Like, we, it, you know, if people trust us, mm-hmm. right? And then we start to say, oh, maybe we can make some money out of it, or maybe we can um, take advantage of that. Then you immediately, you lose it. I mean, that's the... Yeah. The natural law, I believe. So, in, in other words, um, you have to have to cultivate the true virtue again mm-hmm. somehow, or there's a a need of like returning to that. Yeah, and that's what we mean by walking the timeless way. It's like technological innovation is not progress. Um, just being wealthy doesn't make you virtuous. Just being aligned with a particular political party doesn't make you virtuous. Yeah. Yeah. Hard work is still there. And that's, again, another way of saying it is just like seeing through all the bullshit, seeing through all the bullshit and really distilling down to the simplest things that really matter. And that's our humanity. These are the common things that world religions around the world have talked about from the beginning, for some reason we think, oh, that's like old stuff that's not important anymore. It's like, nope, it's that is what still matters. And until, you know, and it's not saying like that the U.S. needs to be a Christian nation. That's mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. sort of illusion. We're not talking mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. We're talking about real virtue. That, and, that name yeah. is not as important as the real substance of it. I mean, even if you call it a Christian nation or you call it whatever nation, but real substance of it, working hard and respect nature, I think that's the most important. I mean, just to mm-hmm. sum up, you know, what we, what we are discussing and discovering today. Cool. Yep. Okay. We are at the top of the hour and... Uh, um, you know, just a reminder that, uh, you know, thank you for all your support, uh, our listeners. In fact, uh, let's, uh, both of us really appreciative of Don, who uh, generously contributed, you know, a, uh, you know, a donation and also write a really love, a lovely message. We really appreciate it. And we'll keep on, you know, working hard. And uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, make our podcast as helpful to our listeners as possible. If you have any uh, interest in uh, donate any amount or provide any form of support, please uh, feel free to go to our website, 
walkingthetimelessway.com. Thank you.